Hey, what's up? Surprise, surprise. Bonus episode for you. Welcome back to Surf Splendor. This is David Scales. Even though I dropped uh, William Finnegan's episode on you yesterday, and I'm only supposed to give one a week, um, we're giving you two episodes this week. Considering the timeliness of the Billabong Pipe Masters, Adriano's world title, Kelly Slater's wave pool, all that stuff just took place in the last few days. Um, Scott and I decided, rather than waiting until next week to discuss, that we should crank out an episode this week. So consider this next week's episode delivered seven days in advance. All right. It's a Christmas gift to you. Um, enjoy it. If he and I get a chance, we might actually try to get together next week additionally, but given the holiday and family obligations and stuff, I'm not sure how practical that will be, but, um, you got this for now. So enjoy. All right. Uh, some of the details, uh, surfsplendorpodcast.com is our website. Everything we discuss will be available there. You can leave comments at Surf Splendors, where you can find us on social media, share the show with friends, rate and review in iTunes. That's all I've got to say. All right. Without further ado, enjoy today's show, and I'll be back at the end to sign us off. Yeah, guy. Yeah, guy. Yeah, friggin' guy. Yeah, gal. No? Throwing out a yeah, gal. No? (laughs) Yep. Yeah, guy. No guy, yeah, gal. This was a... Look, when we... In seventh grade, when we used to say yeah, guy, even if you were a chick, we said, yeah, guy. What's up, guy? How did they feel about that? They were stoked. And by they, I mean all of women race. Just the ones we talked to. Like, oh, my God. Yeah, guy. (laughs) No, I'm I'm just kidding. Yeah, gal, whatever. I mean, what do you say to transgenders? You say, yeah... Q? Yeah, Q. What is Q for? I think transgenders identify as Q or something. Really? I think. I don't know. I'm, I'm sure I'm going to get I just started wow. off this whole show by um, insulting probably a whole Stepping in a section pile. of society. Yeah, how about that? I do, but look, transgenders do have unique pronouns attached to them when you write about of course. them. Like, and What and, are those pronouns? I mean, I actually have some friends that were talking to me about this and there is it's either Z or Q. There's a letter that you use when you write. Interesting about they. Yeah, I had no clue, and um, I feel like those even those rules have changed over the course of years. You know, as things evolve, and so what was acceptable five years ago may not be today. So maybe we just steer clear entirely. You know, I'm bringing in music late into the show. I, I, it is. <laughs> It's a Monday, and it's December 21st, winter solstice here in the Northern Hemisphere. And David Lee Scales, Scott Bass with you, down the line, Surf Talk Radio. And uh, we've had kind of a crazy couple of days here. So David and I thought that we would um, come in and do a show, even though we did one last week. We felt it was appropriate after the Pipeline Masters and everything that's happened in the last four days or so. This is our Christmas gift to you, the listener. Happy holidays. So sweet of us. Yes, it is. It's like more like a stocking stuffer than anything. But it's a piece of black you, hole, perhaps. Here you go. I came in here to sit down, and David had this smirk on his face. Like, he's either smirking at my outfit or smirking at my hairdo or smirking at something. What were you smirking at? Why the smirk? Uh, I don't know. I just feel like 
You just looked at me and went, this guy deserves a smirk. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> I don't want to say. You look great. Your hair looks great. It's all time, actually. So nothing but I was like, dang, that is a handsome young man. And uh, I'm honored to be co-hosting this oh show with God. him. That's what it was all Let about. Let the BS flow. The Dude. BS is flowing as if it was from Harris Ranch in Central California. There you go. How's that for a segue okay. into How Kelly, about that? Sir, Kelly Slater Wave Company? Is that what we're starting with? I guess I just did. I guess so. Um, unless you want to go pipe master well, first, you we'll we'll go with that. But let me give a little interlude. Uh, two main events have happened since we recorded the last show. The pipe masters wrapped up, and then the very following day, Kelly Slater revealed to the world the wave pool that he's been working on for a long time, and. Really, it kind of stole all of the thunder of Adriana DeSouza's world title, the Pipe Masters, all of that just like became a distant memory because the video that Kelly dropped on his wave pool is incredible. The wave looks amazing. So that's kind of what's transpired in the last week. We'll get into Pipe Masters, but by all means. Well, the first thing you then you bring up is the timing of it all, right? Yeah. I mean, I put out some stuff um, on Instagram basically saying, wow, Kelly Slater just... Um, made the world title seem rather insignificant. And I think the tone of that, if taken the wrong way, could be like, oh, Kelly Slater's trying to trump the glory from Adriano de Souza. And I certainly didn't mean it that way. What I meant was this video of this wave, this thing that he has put upon the surf world at the, on this day, would transcend, quite frankly, the second coming of Duke Hanamoko. I mean, it's a big, big deal. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that Kelly was doing it to um, spite what happened the day before at Pipeline. In fact, he sat on this information out of respect for the whoever was going to be the world title, whoever was going to be the Triple Crown winner, whoever was going to be the Pipe Masters, and out of respect to the WSL, quite frankly. But um, it's, it's the kind of information you just can't sit on for too long. And I think he let... and. Um, you know, in, in the right way, he let Adriano have his day. And, but mm -hmm. this information had to come out to the world. And it, it has shaken the foundation of the surf world. Whether you believe in this concept or not, it's certainly um, is probably the biggest news in quite some time. Since the McFanning thing, probably at J-Bay. Yeah. And, and is it bigger news than that? It, it has more implication for the surf world, but like in terms of being national news and international news, you know, yeah. like they're competing. A shark attack on CNN, probably. Yeah. I don't think this thing got onto CNN no. as far as that goes. But it but. has more implication for your and my life. And I think sure. it's rocked the surf media world and the surf world yeah. much more thoroughly than the shark attack, which is just another shark attack. Totally. Well, um, Kelly did honor Adriano and his world title and all of his hard work and effort on Instagram in one post and then followed it up with the wave pool post later. So he did give credit where credit was due. And even in his post for the wave pool on Instagram, kind of releasing it to the world, he said, look, I wanted to wait until all the, the WSL events were over for the year, wanted to wait till the world title was decided. But now... Here's something that I've been working on for years and years and years. So, yeah, Adriano put a ton of work into his effort to win a world title, but I've been putting a ton of work and millions of dollars of money into this. So, and, and it's here, you know, it's here now. And, uh, fascinating. First of all, what were, you, what was your response when you saw it? I don't know. Did you send me a link to it or did I? I had already watched it. You sent me a link. Right. And I, we didn't really even discuss it. Hardly. Right. So, what was your, what was your take on it when you saw it? Amazing. It's yeah. incredible. The wave is beautiful. It looks like it is the ideal wave for me. I'm regular foot. It's a right. It looks like 
Kelly said it looks like the super bank basically. It's like this head high, slightly less than head high barreling right that you can do turns on and stuff. It, it looks more to me like Sandspit in Santa Barbara. Yeah, yeah kind of. Um, and it also reminded me a little bit of uh, of that one of those right points down in mainland Mexico. Infinitely more makeable than Sandspit. Yeah. You know, not as dredging, but yeah, I'd say more like Mexico. You're right. Um, what about the quality of the production itself? Like, it was they, awesome. It was, it was really good, it was right? So good. The way that they set it all up and the video the production. Was yeah, the video was really well done. It got you because you, you knew it was something special, and they kind of teased you for a little bit. They did, but then, I, what ahead. I loved about it was showing Kelly's reaction to watching the very first wave come through. So much more impactful than actually seeing the wave itself. You exactly. I mean? Yeah, that and, and that's what I was speaking of as well. How great the production was that they they thought through the storyline. They sort of yeah. penciled it out. They go, okay, this is what we're going to shoot. We need to get this shot, and it was yeah. really well done. And then, of course, that wave happens. He suits up, paddles out, catches the first wave ever, and what? There's some pressure, right? The first totally. wave ever. He could have he could have pearled. Yeah. No, I remember speaking of Kelly's response to the wave. I remember hearing um, David Fincher, t- the director, talking about Fight Club at one point, and they shot some of the fight scenes different ways and gauged the audience responses to it. And when they showed people getting punched in the face, the response wasn't as visceral as when they sh- it from the audience as when they showed people's reaction to the people getting punched in the face. Oh, you know, like. They're showing actors watching the fight taking place and like squirming and responding. That had a more visceral response in the audience than watching somebody get their teeth knocked out. And so that always kind of stuck with me. And then I realized that in hindsight, watching this Kelly Slater thing, just seeing the emotion on his face, watching the wave that he built, that he spent years building, that was like the most impactful part of the video, almost more than even watching him surf the wave itself from a filmmaking standpoint, you know? Oh, those are great points and good insight, and, and it was really well done. And and um, and 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 then to back it up, when he rode the wave, it was it just you know it added to it, right? Because he did actually rip the crap out of the first wave, got like a twenty second barrel, was ecstatic, sort of came out, claimed, claimed the it, crap out of claimed, it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, can you? He literally. That's kind of a. It looks like it could be crap floating in that water. He kind of claimed the crap out of that way because it's <laughs> he, such dirty water. It looks rather crappy. It was the most legitimate claim that you could ever do. Like he built this thing himself. He has every right to claim it. And he ripped the crap out of the wave and got barreled. Like and then he. I like that one air that he did too yeah. on the end section. Yeah. There's no end section actually. It was just like a a steep section, but. Like, you deserve to claim this, Kelly. That is the most legitimate claim we've ever seen. Like, yeah. good for you. And, um, you know, the water quality, as we mentioned, it's a little bit off, right? It's cold. Um, it's in, so we know where it is, right? It's in well, Lemoore. That's, that's a story in and of itself. Was okay, do you want to go there yet? Or uh, You just did. Okay. Yeah, I guess you're right. Sorry. Uh, no. <laughs> Here we go. Well, I mean, that is part of the story is that he didn't reveal the location of the wave. And for obvious reasons, probably, like you don't want to get overrun with tourists if it's not open to the public. How quickly did people make the... Uh, Within a day. What's the journey to... What's the classic religious journey that they take? Mecca. In, yeah. yeah. Is that it? Yeah. Yeah. So... Within... 24 hours, people were making the Mecca to the new promised land. Yeah, which it looks to me like uh, Reddit figured it out, like users on Reddit. Is it called the Hodge or something like that? The Hodge, what? I don't know, the track, the Middle Eastern track that I think Muslims take. Oh, I'm not sure. Anyway. I'm not sure. I'm all mixed up there, but... 
Yeah. Well, sorry, go ahead. No, it's okay. Um, so I think Reddit was the first community forum that people figured it out in. But basically, just the background behind the wave, there's like an industrial building and some trees. That's really all that you can see in the video other than the wave itself and the pool. But people identified that and was like, hey, I know where there's trees like that. I know where there's a building like that. Then they get on Google Earth and look at that area and find what looks like a pool. Then they start researching real estate records and they figure out, oh, this guy bought this land two years ago. Oh, this guy's from San Diego and he's worked with these other people. Pull up more records. Turns out he used to work with Kelly Slater Wave Riding Company, which is like a legal entity, you know, and they connected all the dots and pinpointed it and revealed it to the world. Then I think it was yesterday, Surfline posted this story with, it was entitled Sam George um, goes to visit Kelly's wave pool or whatever. And so Sam George, unannounced, does the trek up to where it is, which is central California, couple maybe like a hour and a half inland from the coast, just north of Paso Robles area, yeah, San yeah. Luis Obispo. Which is that Harris Ranch area. Right? Yeah, so four hours from uh, Los Angeles, Orange County. So Sam George treks up there, pounds on the door, and it's just the security guard, basically. And he's like, hey, you're not allowed to be here. He's like, I heard there's a wave pool. Well, I don't know about that. You can't come in. He's like, well, has anybody surfed it? And the guard says, yeah, somebody was surfing it two weeks ago, but I don't know anything else about that. You're not allowed to be here. Get out of here. That's yeah. the end of the story. Yeah. So. Yeah, and I guess some other surfers had had cruised up there, too. If oh, were, really? Yeah, according to some of the comments in the – or I think at the end, don't they get – flagged down by some firefighters that work in the area that are surfers that are like, yeah, there's been a few people traveling through Lamore, California. I didn't read that part Mm -hmm. of it. So, wow, quite an interesting situation. But, um, and I guess we can get into the granular part of it too, like what's the wave like, blah, blah, blah. What's the water like, blah, blah, blah. But from a 30,000 foot level, right, this is where it's sort of – is it a big deal or isn't it a big deal? You know, my my gut feeling after kind of chewing on it for a while is that it's both a game changer and yet nothing's really changed. Right. Um, you know, interestingly, right, from the everything, you know, from it being a game changer, what we have here is proof of concept. Ever since, you know, my days at Surfer Magazine when, when wave pools were, you know, I mean, wave pools have been explored for way before then even, but I would get phone calls like, hey, you know what? We want you to check this thing out. We're developing this wave pool. And you'd get various calls from various people. And our eventually our response was always the same from the editorial staff was, you know, call us when it's six feet and perfect. Otherwise, I'm not interested. You know, just yeah. another thing on a piece of paper that somebody drew that makes sense, maybe. And so now we have proof of concept. Like mm-hmm. they have done this thing. And so... On that level, it is a game changer. You know, we have a six-foot perfect barreling wave. That was somebody's email that came through said exactly that. A listener sent an email. And it was like, hey, Scott, it's six feet and perfect with a link to the video. Yeah. And, and, and that's – They're that, referencing you saying that. Right, which is what yeah. – that's been my go-to, Exactly. Right? Yeah. Call me when six feet – and it is. And so – but I didn't get a call from Kelly. <laughs> but um, anyway – you have that, your personal number? No. But so there, there you go. You know, on that level – Everything has changed. We finally have that that R and D has been done, right? I um I reached out this morning to my friend Bruce, who's the president of American Wave Machines, and he builds a lot of wave machines in and around all over the world. Um, he this thing called Surfstream, which is um, 
you know, it's a viable wave. It's obviously not like this. But the reason that, you know, Bruce and a lot of other people haven't made this wave is that they've proven the concept on a scale version, you know, and they've scaled it up a little bit. But they're kind of like, well, why am I going to throw $4 million or say a million dollars or whatever the number is at a big version? That's what I'm trying to sell. I'm trying to sell somebody to come in and give me the million dollars to do it. I'm not going to throw my own million dollars. I know that it works, Mm -hmm. but what good is it of me to just, you know, I'm looking for an investor more or less, right? So Kelly obviously had the investor, this person that stepped up with the dollars and said, let's build proof of concept because it hasn't worked yet. Like trying to hook somebody into um, an investment here based on scale models obviously hasn't worked. Let's go out and build a huge one. Let's throw the money at it. Kind of basically saying, screw it. Let's just do it. And then we'll see what happens. Figure out the revenue model afterwards. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, so, and I think that makes a lot of sense because after five years of everyone saying, hey, we can do it. You got a million dollars. I'll show you. Right. Somebody actually said, here's a million dollars. And they, they've, they've proven us right. They were correct here. So very interesting. Very interesting. Here's one of the initial thoughts I had when I watched Kelly riding that wave was Kelly has Kelly Slater Board Company. He's building his own boards. He has outer known a clothing brand. He's built a wave. Like what? <laughs> Kelly's literally is going to own surfing. You know what I mean? Like, and good for him. Like he's positioned himself where he is the greatest surfer of all time. Now he's going to have his fingers in every aspect of human beings riding waves, and he's arguably going to do it better than anybody else is going to do it. That remains to be really uh, proven well, with the boards that he's building and the clothing that he's offering. But realistic and, and the wave, though that's but, where no, I get that in. is the best one that we've ever seen. No doubt so about it. But nothing has really changed. This is where it comes into everything's changed, but nothing's changed. You and I can't surf this wave, not, not yet. But but what I'm saying is he's got the building blocks in place for that. Twenty years from now, yes, Kelly Slater will be synonymous with surfing if he isn't already. You know, like he will not only be synonymous with it, but. Eight out of ten dollars being spent in surfing might be flowing into Kelly's pockets based on what he has set up. There's a lot of moving parts that would need to take place before then, but nobody else has come along and tried to control all aspects of a sport in this way, sure, you know. Sure. And nobody's been better positioned to do it no, you're in right. any sport. Like Absolutely. it's really the dominoes are in place for that, everything to fall down and, and yeah. make sense. But again. You and I can't surf this wave yet. We assume that we're going to be able to. There's been a lot of talk. You know, I was at, I hosted Surf Park Summit a couple of years ago. And the main, you know, the sort of the takeaway from there was, hey, look, it's not, it's, it's cost prohibitive to have a six foot wave. It takes a lot of time for a six foot wave to be generated, for the water to disperse, the, the amount of, you know, square footage, the cost per square foot. There's the energy involved, the, the cost of the energy. All of these things, have, have, there was a lot of people kind of poo-pooing the concept, especially in light of, hey, if we're the so-called tribe of eco-warriors, you know, this is really actually putting a huge carbon footprint out there if we're going to, you know, so there's all of these other things that make me think, look, it's everything has changed, but nothing has changed. So I guess the next step is, can we prove that this is a viable commercial entity? And what does that look like? Is there a country club model, which you and I have discussed, where there's just some private investors, 20 guys pay their green fees and it's their pool, no one else's, and they can invite four friends or however they decide to work it out. And they yeah. have a, a cool little dining area and a card game around it. And they probably have a golf course next to it, you know, because yeah. there are plenty 
plenty of uber rich guys that surf these days so the country club model could work right now you could see guys going hey no problem i'm in for 100 grand yeah. if everyone's in for 100 grand we'll have a condo blah 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 then there's the sort of the interesting one which is the government model right you and i can see the uh, country of Australia going, hey, we need one of these at our national high-performance surfing center, which we have in, it's in Sydney, right? Yeah. Isn't it? So we need one of these there to develop. Mm-hmm. And because we're you know, a social democracy and we have government funding for these types of things, we're the first in line to get one of these things. Whereas here in the United States, you have to have a nonprofit decide to start generating funds and have a bake sale and do all this stuff. And yeah. hopefully, we don't even have a high-performance surfing area. No, using your golf analogy, that would be the Muni course, though. Right. As opposed to the country club, you know, but it, it, you know, so does that, you know, will it, will it make sense on a, from a financial viability standpoint right. on a national level where I could see even quite frankly, although Brazil's economy is going down the tubes right now, like radically, right. could Brazil be one that steps up and, and purchases the technology for one of these at their national, you know, surf center, you know, so we yeah. know like Australia, you know, you could see. Other crazy social democracy, other countries that have somehow have the wherewithal to do this. Sweden, who knows who it is. So there's the government model, right? Yeah. And then the other model, right, the, the, the obvious one, and I, I don't mean to no, preempt no, no. you here. The other obvious model is is sort of the commercial land, like Disneyland model, where it's open to the masses. There's retail space around it. There's real estate around it. Um, there's a nearby airport. There's a mass population like Orlando, basically, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the one where you and I get to go and stand in line with 30 other yahoos and pee in the pool and surf. I have an, I, I have a feeling that all three will exist Co- at the same exact time. They'll coexist, you know? I agree. Um, but I think that Kelly's really looking at it at that level of the, the Orlando example, amusement park example, where, look – the reason why a lot of aspects of surfing are still niche is because it's limited to people on the coast, this small population trying to support these things. I think Kelly's thinking on it on a global level where it's like surfing doesn't have to be just for middle America. We could have these wave pools all over the country. And if we're going to do that, again, I need to provide the surfboards. I need to provide the clothing and the lifestyle and all these other things. The energy drink that – I mean not the perps is an energy drink, but you know, like – all of the amenities that come with it, that's the model that he's looking at. He's looking at it like Steve Jobs looked at the computer. You know what I mean? Like, I really do think that's what it is. Well, then that brings up a whole nother topic, which is the idea that we, our whole culture, everything about surfing since, since at least the Gidget era, um, and I wouldn't put this on the Polynesians. I don't think the Polynesians had a sense of anxiety about lack of waves. I think that's purely like an Anglo thing. Floridian thing. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah, like I the, So our whole culture has been built on this, you know, there's only so many waves and there's been a little bit of anxiety. And you know what? Let's make a movie called The Endless Summer where we'll search the entire planet. And we'll just follow the waves because we got to get the waves. There's only so many of them. Yeah. This concept in our entire culture is is thoroughly embedded with this. It's it's deeply entrenched. It's weaved into everything we do. And we don't even realize it. You know, like a lot of the companies and the brands are are sort of based on this 
on the knowledge that waves are a finite thing, that there's only so many of them. And, and that sort of made it outlaw too. And, and we had to go down to Mexico and search and we went around and we did, in fact, rip curl the search. Like the whole thing is based on finite. And this takes finite out of the equation. Interesting. And I question whether, I'm not saying it's good or bad, but because it isn't, it's neither good nor bad, but it, it's, um, is it something that you, David, want to be associated with? The, the a, a culture and a sport and an activity that is now no longer finite. And I think it's something you can't just jump and go, yeah, I would, that's what I want to be involved with. I want to be in wave pools. Right. I, I question whether there's something to the um, – there's something that we're missing when we don't – like the search, it's almost like the journey is, the, is what it's all about. It's not actually catching the wave. Right. And that takes this and tears it apart. Those two experiences are different. Riding a wave versus the ritual of surfing aren't really the same thing. Riding the wave is part of it, for sure. This is a perfect segue, actually, to an email we got from Francisco. He said, the unveiling of the man-made wave elicited a strange emotional reaction. As utterly amazing as Kelly's man-made wave is, it kind of bummed me out. Man-made waves are for real now. The landscape has changed. Surfing is almost as much about the ocean, weather, sea life, uniqueness of place, salt, apart from the physical act of surfing. What we people who only know surfing through these man-made waves do to our lifestyle or sports obsession, or what will people do when they only know surfing due to these man-made waves? The inlanders will have skating, um, already have skating, wakeboarding, and skiing. Everyone who signs up, signs up for these man-made waves should be forced to paddle out at Ocean Beach on an onshore overhead day with three rows of whitewash coming through to like initiate them into the process of surfing. He goes, that said, can't wait to try it out. Yeah, I think all surfers would love to ride it, but uh, Francisco touches on such an important point, right? Which is, you know, the all of the other trappings that is that 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 creates who we are as surfers and i mean i spend more time geeking out on the jet stream and low pressure systems and the madden julian oscillation index and the southern oscillate you know just crazy stuff that but that's my experience my experience is i love hunting down the weather i yeah. love going down to blacks or going down to where you know like we all love that stuff we all pa- packing up a lunch and spending the day at the beach and oh oh my god here comes the wind and all of these things that um it really makes you realize that why surfing is so special. It's never been just about riding the wave. Right. Yeah. Uh, but that being said. Sign me up. <laughs> I, I love it. Yeah. I love the idea of being able to. There's the paradox. Or, right? or when you just don't have the time to go through all those paces. Like in an ideal scenario, you have that wave pool in your backyard. I got to leave for work in 20 minutes. I'm going to go out and catch one wave real quick in my backyard. Like that would be incredible. But if I have two hours. I'm going to go down to the beach and go surfing. You if know? you know you can paddle out at this man-made wave and get an insane 20-second barrel on every one, more or less, let's yeah. assume. Um, and then you have the option of surfing, like, say, a chunky French beach break where you're going to be able to hunt down a couple. You might get two. You might get four of them that close out, and, or maybe you get six or whatever. But you had to hunt them down. You had to you had to use all of your own knowledge and your own, you know, everything that you've gleaned over 30 years of surfing to to kind of like hunt down and get that, those little tubes, you know, a, a two second, three second tube at a French beach break, just one of them versus six 20 second bo- way, uh, barrels at Kelly's wave. I'm starting to think that 
I'm I'm on Francisco's side, yeah. and again, I haven't experienced Kelly's wave, but I just know deep down there's something deep down. I think that every surfer kind of goes. There's a little bit of vomit in my mouth, just a touch of vomit, even though I want to spit it out and I want to ride Kelly's wave. But there's something just a little wrong. We're all not quite sure what it is. I mean, I think we all feel a little dirty. It's almost like like you're looking at a Playboy magazine and we've peeled the filter off of the beautiful girl. Or you're knowing that it's a filter. We That's know it's it a filter yeah. and we wish, you know what? We'd like to see the cellulite. It's okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's more what it is, yeah. I think, is like I don't want the glossy version, really. Yeah, I want reality. Yeah, totally. Um, I, I agree with you. And again, well, let me, a caveat, sign me up. Yeah, Kelly, by the way, <laughs> we're if both you're listening. want to surf this wave. Hook a brother up. And I've surfed, you know, Orlando, um, yeah. Typhoon Lagoon, and it's the crappiest wave in the world, but I had so much fun. I really enjoyed doing it. You know, True. it does wear, you know, eventually it wears out. The fun wears out. Well, so interestingly, uh, I, I, I had this thought watching it as well, is that I'd actually rather surf that wave that was in Japan, that wave pool that was in Japan, the global dome or whatever. Yeah. Surf dome, I think is what it was called. Yeah. Because it wasn't predictable like this. It was wedgy, beat, what looked like beach break barrels that would like pop up. There'd be lefts, there'd be rights, and they were unpredictable. You'd get a little air section because of the um, style the mechanics of the pool itself were different. I think it just sent these pulses of energy. And so they would manufacture themselves differently. Um, whereas this is like very mechanical and, and machine like. And so I thought to myself, I'd rather go surf that surf dome where things are a little more like the ocean. They're less predictable. Yeah. yeah and, and again, you know, I'm sure that Kelly's people would probably go, yeah, but this is just the R&D prototype. We may be able to change the bottom contour or do something to the plow that's pulling this wave right. so that some other things happen. Yeah. So that it's not so, you know, like a half pipe. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it's, it's just been very interesting, and not the least of which is all of the attention that social media has, has given this thing. It's been pretty cool. Pretty um, funny how emotional everybody's gotten about it. Like, it, not crying or something or laughing, but like we're emotionally torn over how to even process this information, you know? I think that's kind of the funniest part about it. And how selfish is the entire process of sur- just being a surfer in general is the most self-centered, selfish endeavor. Like, we don't produce any commodity. We don't, there's no service to anybody. Yeah. No little old lady gets helped across the street. We're not right. doing anything but just the most self Discuss, you know, it's just it's it's kind of not okay. <laughs> Here's what I'll, I'll argue with you: is that everybody, every human being, has those things in their life that they engage in, maybe on a daily basis. And this is actually a super healthy version of it. You know, like you make a great point. Yeah, a lot of them are just gorging on sugar or pornography or well, drugs to or take whatever. it further right the surf pool the artificial wave makes it so you don't have to d- dedicate your whole exactly. life around hopefully getting that one wedgie beach break when the tide and wind is right now you can be like you know what we're going surfing it'll take an hour and a half i'll be good and i'm on to work exactly. as opposed to you know what honey i'm not gonna be able to pick up groceries because i think that you know like because because if you're like me and you're a self-centered freak uh a lot of relationships a lot of things have been strained due to this addiction known as surfing completely and but i would also argue that even in the realm of physical activities that you commit your life to like this is arguably a pretty good one because there is a little bit of a journey involved and you have to work for it it's not like just going to the gym and banging out you know a 30 minute 
CrossFit whatever routine, you know? Do you think that rock climbers prefer Joshua Tree or just going to the rock climbing gym? Right. Joshua Tree, for yeah. sure. Yeah. It's funny that you say that, actually. I just posted um, the interview I did with William Finnegan. Yeah. And we were talking about how surfing is unique in that aspect of, like, I don't think that, like, skateboarders have the same relationship with nature that surfers do, you know? And then he he presented the example of the closest he can get or the closest that he can imagine is rock climbers. He's like, when I hear rock climbers talking about going on a journey, it sounds very similar to surfing. And I hadn't really thought of that before. So is there a world that- rock climbing league where they judge each other? <laughs> it must be a <laughs> speed a good- thing. Right? Is, do they have yeah. rock climbing competitions? I'm sure that they do. I don't I, know. I think though. a majority of the rock climbing community is anti competition. Which, I mean, that's a great parallel yeah. to draw for surfing. Okay, well, then the other um, one of the many other issues, and I hope we can excavate all of them a little bit here, but the other one is the Olympics, right? I have it through um, fairly good sources that um, Santiago Aguirre is one of the guys that helped fund this thing. Now, I could be wrong. Hope Santiago doesn't get angry with me for but a rumor is that in Santiago's um Fernando's brother Fernando good friend uh of this place here Surfing Heritage and Culture Center and a friend of mine is the guy behind the Olympic movement surfing in the Olympics so um this has got to make those uh, surfing Olympic guys just super stoked I mean this does really make it uh, legitimate a, a, yeah a, a legitimate Olympic opportunity right well they can go to the Olympic committee and go look We've got something that's insane. Mm-hmm. Thoughts you, on the surfing in the Olympics with this? Um, Good or bad? It, it fits into everything else that we've just said, where yeah. it's kind of like... It's not really surfing, but it is. It, yeah, exactly. And uh, by the way, Felipe Toledo will win that event. Like, I can't imagine anybody else surfing that wave better than Felipe. Like, that's his bread and butter. Hiring for a small business is critical. It's imperative that you find a highly qualified professional to treat and grow your business with the same care and detail that you do. LinkedIn Jobs will be your next big unlock. LinkedIn Jobs has created the tools to find the right professionals for your team fast and for free. Everybody is already on LinkedIn with their resume and their references. So the fact that LinkedIn built a hiring platform to connect the dots between everything is simple genius. It's way more sophisticated than a job board. It's a vast network of more than a billion professionals meticulously organized to connect people by skill set, desire, ambition, all in an effort to help us advance our position. And it's easy to use and intuitive. So effective that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Fast hiring solutions means achieving your goals in record time with rapid growth in 2024. LinkedIn Jobs will even help you write the job descriptions and give you tools and prompts to help you interview your candidate like a pro. LinkedIn.com slash surf is where you go to post your job for free. Yes, totally free. And you can let the world's largest social network of business professionals work to connect you with the ideal candidate to help you grow your business. That is LinkedIn.com slash surf to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. No. That's sad that we already know who's going to win it. That yeah. speaks to some of the problems here. Totally. And I, I kind of felt that way watching him at Snapper this year. 
at the beginning of the year, um, which he surfed incredibly in and like it saved the event, you know, and I loved seeing it. But it was also like we already know the end of this story and that makes it a little less fun to watch. Yeah, a lot less fun. Whereas when we go watch Pipe and we're not sure what the swell is going to – like anybody could win. It's anybody's game out there and that's a lot – that adds a lot of excitement, you know. Well, interestingly, I mean, Felipe's pipe heats, we sort of knew the end of those. Even competitively, he surfed well, but he didn't look comfortable at Pipeline. Are we getting into Pipe now? I think we are. I think Unless, we should. Have we, have we touched on everything? Well, we can come back to it, but right. I think that we should. Um, because Felipe's heats, um, he, especially the one that he didn't make, the one that was close. Mason Ho, round yeah. three, heat seven. Yeah. He just definitely didn't look, he looked tentative, didn't he? So the, he did. And that is a very controversial finish because, um, you know, it was just close. It was within a half a point or whatever it was. And, like, you, it could have been argued either way. And a world title was on the line for Felipe. Him not making that heat meant he was out of the title race. So a lot of the internet was like, oh, you know, Felipe got robbed. As if there's some, like, puppeteer holding these strings dictating. And if they were, why would they want Mason to win? Like, I, I don't understand that. Well, argument. it was more – that – that conspiracy would be more about Felipe losing, but the 2.97 I think he needed, and he got that little barrel on a little wave, and and it just wasn't worth the it score. It wasn't worth the but score. What they were arguing was that his good score, the one where he burned Kai Otten, uh, was the one that should have been more. Yeah. But, uh, so but he wasn't as far back as exactly. Kai Otten. Like Kai Otten would have gotten an an eight right so we will cut that in, th- in a third let's say sure because he was more or less on the corner and we're not even comparing you're right that is fair but also all we're doing in this is comparing his two best waves versus mason's two best waves right. that's all that matters and i was watching that heat intently and i went back and watched those waves and my opinion is mason deserved to win yeah look at mason he was i we texted during this heat but it was like mason was actually surfing pipeline yeah. he was taking off on the peak or behind the peak committed committed trying to find those ones and then he'd he'd actually kind of backdoor the shoulder section and get blown out of the barrel whereas felipe was sitting on the shoulder it looked like he was trying to get through the heat he was trying to he was trying to play it surfing pipe exactly felipe was playing it safe mason was charging pipe now that being said felipe got the best wave of the heat he didn't surf it the best but that wave that kai otten was on by the way Kai Otten was in a different heat. They were running overlapping heats. Felipe had priority. So yeah. there was no interference yeah. call. Yeah. It was Felipe's wave. But like you said, Kai actually, it, it was the best wave in that it was the biggest wave and it doubled up the most. Yeah. And Kai was in the best possible position. He would have got shacked. But Felipe pulled priority, but he was off on the shoulder, which, you know, is a difficult place to make the drop because that's the sections that, that's doubling up. So Felipe did a good job to make that drop, but he didn't really get barreled. It was like a super double-up section, but he hardly got behind the curtain. And then it spit and blew him out. So he got a mediocre score. Mason got smaller waves that weren't as doubled up, but he backdoored the section and got blown out of them. So I'm looking at it going, Mason played this, surfed this the best. He dominated the wave. He imposed his will. Felipe just kind of got through, and that was a cool wave, but it wasn't really a proper barrel. So, well, it's almost like too because the spit was so strong and stuff, and, and like he kind of you know, woo, yeah. everybody screamed because the spit was so energetic. But he didn't even really deserve the spit because no. he wasn't in the zone where you know. I mean, it wasn't like he got spit out. He was just on the corner and yeah. got 
I I would have been stoked with it. Yeah, no, I, I, <laughs> but it was like it was it wasn't quite a pocket ride, but it wasn't a barrel. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like he was under the curtain, not behind the curtain. Right. Let's put it that way. So now that being said, Felipe gave a great post heat interview where he he accepted know, he, he accepted defeat. He was just like, hey. Coming in hot next year. I'm going to try harder. He didn't complain about the score. Like, I no, admired that. I did, too. Yeah. That was really cool. Yeah. What well, about the Pipe Masters? What else do you got for me? Okay. Um, Where do you want to start? Our, uh, there's so much. There's a lot of heats that we could pick apart. Uh, it, it is being said that... Um, the one day where they ran like the full day, you know, from beginning to end is arguably the greatest day of competitive surfing we've ever seen. I hear Scott's that a rolling lot. his well, eyes. I hear that a lot. Yeah, because it constantly ups the ante and that one upped the ante over the Jaws event. Like that was insane. The waves got perfect. They weren't perfect in the morning. So we saw people slugging it out. Then they got perfect. All the world title scenarios got pushed to their limits. Like it was so exciting throughout the day. Um, the top contenders made it through. The low contenders got bumped. The wild cards delivered. You know, Mason Ho, not all of them, but Mason Ho was knocking dudes out left and right. Then the waves got insane. We had the super heat between Mick, Kelly, and John John. That's the heat we should talk about. Kelly, I mean, Mick was the underdog in that heat, but he's the guy with the world title on the line, and he beat both of them, the two guys who you would expect to win the event. It was so gnarly. He totally did. But did he? He totally did. You and I texted about that wave score. Tell me, what happened? Well, look, Kelly caught that wave at the end. What did he need, a 9-3 or an 8-3 or something? I forget the exact need. And, And they gave him... I think I did text you and go, you know, maybe he didn't get the score, but he should have been scored higher than what they gave him. Sure. So Kelly caught this incredible wave. Everyone remembers it. It was a super late drop, backdoor. This is the most dramatic late drop, you know, purling, and, but pulling it off and just getting under the hook and getting spat out. It wasn't uber deep. but it's like it, the biggest wave of the day, though. It was yeah, insane. Yeah, it was insane. And yeah. it was like one of those Kelly Slater moments where the whole yep. beach erupted. And just based on all of that, and it was at the very end of the heat, it, it and you almost could see some dejection on Mick's face. Like he knew, oh God, this is not really looking good for me. And, yeah. And I think Kelly was surprised when he was sort of standing by in that competitor zone there by the beach marshal. He looked a little dejected. But you also got to figure he had this wave pool thing on his mind. He was like, whatever, it's cool. I'm, I'm about to announce this wave pool. So anyway, I thought that I thought they could have given it to Kelly. And um, I don't know if you picked apart this heat with a fine tooth comb, but... I thought they could if they could, if they would have given it to Kelly it would not have surprised anybody. I agree with that. And I think there was more surprise that he didn't turn the heat. I agree with that. But again, two best waves versus two best waves, I think they made the right call and Mick won that heat, you know. Here's the other thing. We've said it at times before, but I'd really like to reiterate it. I all of these issues about does he deserve the score or not would be solved if the judges didn't know what the competitor needed. Like if they don't know that Kelly needs a nine, if they're sitting in an isolation booth, strictly scoring waves and they could watch replays and stuff. But if they know, but is that doable though? Because if they're watching replays and they know what they gave the last wave that they're judging it against, they know that they gave Kelly a seven six seven, and now they're looking at another wave of Kelly's and they're going, okay, well I got to base it on this seven six seven. I guess if they don't know that he needs an eight point three, they don't know that because helps. They don't know. But they kind of do. No, right? but here's why they don't is because 
the five scores get averaged out. Oh, the right. judges don't know what the other guys gave right. and what the average became. Right. And they might know Kelly's probably needing a nine right now, but they don't know if it's an eight, seven or a 9.3. Right, right. You know? So, and it comes down to tenths of the point. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, that does so make sense. I think that would eliminate so many of these controversies. Like, like the Felipe and Mason thing. Felipe needs a, ni- a, a 277. He got this tiny barrel on the inside. If they didn't know, then there's no pointing the finger at, oh, they wanted him to get through or they wanted to, they wanted to push Mick through the world title and therefore make Felipe lose or whatever. It would shoot a lot of holes in any conspiracy theories. It would. Sure. I think it'd be difficult to do to keep them in isolation, but I think that that is like a super important thing. Um, by the way, that Kelly backdoor bomb was sick. It was so It good. was so sick. Like, again, we just want Kelly to show up and be Kelly of old. That was one of those moments where this TP comes. It wasn't even a TP. It was a wall. Uh, like a backdoor closeout looking wall and he just spun free fall dropped the thing landed at the bottom didn't even have time to pull up into it just landed at the bottom stood there got shacked came out it was just like the sickest thing ever so we what did you think of kelly's boards what did they look like to you not the best too much rocker um it was fine he did fine i don't think they were the best looking boards that i've seen him on yeah what did you think yeah, I would, I would, you know, being hyper critical here, I would suggest to you that there were some backside bottom turns where they looked like they weren't real solid, yeah. you know. But I think Kelly gives some of that up for for looseness in and around the pocket, you know, the ability for him to just kind of rock back and forth on the fins. And but I, 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 I sense that they weren't completely dialed. Let me just say that there's times where he looks like he's on a magic board. This was definitely not one of those times although the board that he's riding in the wave pool video i thought looked amazing like that board it looks short fat and like really buoyant you know and i know it's probably freshwater pool so like it's a little bit different but that board i thought looked really really good Hmm. um so uh for i mean we should give some of the details about the pipe masters by the way adriano de souza it was an all brazilian final adriano de souza and Gabriel Medina were in the final together. All that uh, Adriano needed to do to win the world title throughout this event was finish one place higher than Mick, which is what he ended up doing. Um, Mick got bumped out of the event by Gabriel Medina, which then put uh, Adriano in a position to clinch the title if he made his next heat against Mason Ho, which he did. So the world title was sealed before the final even happened. Adriano came in. Um, gave all of his congratulations and thanks and then went out and surfed the final against Gabriel and then beat Gabriel and win, won the Pipe Masters in addition to the final. One thing that's worth discussing is uh, Gabriel Medina's heat against Mick Fanning. The aerial? The aerial heard around the world. Yeah. Gabriel needed a score. The waves have been deteriorating throughout the course of the day, so there were fewer and fewer barrels on hand. And um, Gabe got a score, or Gabe needed a score. The waves just weren't coming. He decided to take off on a mushy left that was about chest high, and he just threw a crazy full rotation spin and stomped it. It was very impressive. He didn't necessarily he didn't stomp, stomp it. it. He right. kind of fell backwards, right. kind of scrambled in the whitewash for a bit, then came up and claimed it. Completely. And so then everybody's like, what do we do? Like, There's two minutes before the judges drop the score, and everybody in the booth and everybody, us texting each other in internet land, was like, are they going to award a score to Gabriel on a non-barrel wave and let the world title be decided by 
a non-barrel at Pipeline. That's what it all came down to. And they decided the score. Again, if they didn't know what Gabriel needed, I think this would be really more interesting. But ultimately, they gave him a 6.5, which was the score that he needed. Gabriel won that heat, put Mick title, Mick, Mick Fanning in the back seat for the title. Running. Yeah. What do you think about that score and that wave? I think it's unfortunate that a, an event at the Pipeline Masters, a heat is decided by an aerial. I, I'm not... I think Gabe probably deserved the score. Yeah. It's just a bummer that the conditions were such that here we are giving six fives for aerials a pipeline when we should be judging two brides, right? And so that's really mother nature more than it anything. It really is. And it's unfortunate. You know, when you just sat there and described it, it brought me back to the Eddie Aikau event that Bruce Irons won, right? So here's Gabe getting through heats and making it to the finals um, in one heat specifically because of an aerial he did. And, of course, Bruce Irons... He basically won the Eddie because he went left and got tubed on the closeout in the shore break. Yeah. You know, like who would think that you'd win the Eddie by going left? But he rode that way from the outside. Right. But it's, yeah. it's the fact that he connected to the left right. and did that crazy thing through there. I mean, the left, that portion of the wave, you could argue, is what everyone was on their feet going, oh, my God, did you see what so Bruce gnarly. did? Yeah. So it's kind of funny that, you know, here we are, right? An aerial at Pipeline yeah. and a left tube on the inside shore break of Waimea is what we remember. But – to his credit, it is what it is. Like there, were, he was searching for the barrels. Mick was sitting out back with priority, waiting for the barrel. It never came. So Gabe figured that out and played his cards. Was like, look, this is the hand I'm dealt. Well, it was under priority, right? He scrambled yeah. under priority. I mean, it was very smart competitive surfing. It's like, Super what do smart. I have to lose? Exactly. They could give me a two. Oh well, now I know. I yeah. need. I need to get barreled. Yeah. Even though there aren't any out here. Yeah. And he did. He did a crazier air than Mick Fanning could do on that wave for sure. That's what surf. That's what competitive surfing is. I liked it. You know, it's like that is what it is. I'd way rather see guys getting shacked. But by the way, that's no longer an option. And that's another thing. I saw a lot of the internet, and I think we even got a couple of emails of people like, "Oh, that was a disappointing finals day, especially coming off the hype of the day before, where the waves are pumping. That was so disappointing." And it's like, do you guys not understand surfing at all? Like, this is the best day of the waiting period that we have remaining. This is what you do. Yeah, it's unfortunate, but. It is what it is, you know? Um, a great event, nonetheless. It was a little bit of a bummer that it went down. You know, look, the waiting period is what it is. The waves weren't going to get any better than what they got. No. And um, Gabe Medina, I think, won the advanced Triple Crown. He did. Congratulations, yeah. Gabe Medina. And uh, is there like a rookie, Triple Crown rookie or something? What other awards were? They do give a rookie of the year. I'm not sure who got that. Yeah. Um, but... Uh, B. Durbich is oh, worth mentioning too. Yeah. In round two, he had a gnarly wipeout and he fractured his pelvis. Uh, it was like his first wave of the heat, actually. It was. He Keanu was saying, yeah. Uh, fractured his pelvis in two places. He's going to be out of commission for the beginning of next year, even yeah. like six to eight months or something. I yeah, think it's said. not good at all. I heard. I heard it's going to be a while. I'm by, trying to find it online here. By the way, um, you you think like you learn how to wipe out? You know, like. As surfers, you know kind of how to wipe out to avoid your board and to like not get that much of a beating. That was one of those wipeouts where it was just like so the wrong way to wipe out. There was like <laughs> nothing right about the way he did any of that. Yeah. But we also get humbled by Mother Nature and like that you end up in those positions occasionally. It was the worst possible position. It was he spun late on a double up and tried to just like knife into the thing and just went ass over tea kettle with his board 
on the inside, the shallow part of the reef, and basically got sucked over the falls and slammed on his hips right on the reef. And um, he came up cringing. And the thankfully, the jet ski rescue team was right there, and they were able to swoop and pull him up onto the sled. But even that looked painful. Like, how do you get on the sled when you're pelvis is fractured yeah you're hoping dude, adrenaline is i'm is sure running. that i'm passed out by then you know like it just took over and i went into shock yeah and the and then they motored that jet ski straight up onto the sand full speed ahead and even that looked so painful because he was on the back kind of getting bumped it was like it was brutal and then they had to transfer him off the sled onto the stretcher and he was like screaming in agony during oh, the transfer brutal. so uh bead Shout out to B, dude. Good luck with recovery because that was gnarly. Um, do you want to hear what we've got in store for 2016 in terms of who got bumped and who's getting added? I just want to make sure Rosie Hodge is still on the commentating <laughs> squad because she did a great job. I just want to say, man, more were, Ro- Rosie the better. Yeah, yeah. There were so many. She's be- and I don't just mean because she's pretty to the eyeballs, but she's actually really, really good at what she does. She's amazing. She's, she's really qualified. She's a professional. Yeah, completely. Thank you. So, um, people getting bumped off the tour in 2016: Adam Melling, Sebastian Zietz, Brett Simpson, Ricardo Christie. And then those retiring, also they're out of qualification, are um, C.J. Hobgood, Glenn Hall, and Freddie Pataccia. So adios to yeah. that crew. Uh, looks like Matt Banning and Jordy Smith are getting the wild cards. Who was the other guy that was injured that was supposed to get it? Michelle Berez, yeah, no, but he qualified so yeah. in 21st position. I thought there was some one other guy that was du- make- maybe Dusty. Yeah, maybe it was him, yeah. Is he going to get? I I don't know. They, they were talking about on the broadcast, like, it doesn't look good for Matt Banning because there was two guys that had way more, like, ma- you know, name power. But Matt officially got the call. Like, okay. it's been advertised oh, right. that good. he got. All right. Yeah. So I don't know. Um, I don't know if what they're going to do with Dusty or if he's just off. But he, he didn't qualify based on points. Are you going to have your ashes spread at the wave pool? <laughs> Is that an option? <laughs> what are you talking about? Yeah, like, you know how, like... When like, a surfer passes away, they have the the memorial paddle out, and your ashes are spread amongst the waves. This is a bit of a non sequitur and super morbid, by the way. <laughs> I just think it's an interesting concept. There's so many parts of our culture where now we can apply them to the wave pool that it's like, yeah, you know, there's going to be a memorial paddle out in Lemoore, California. We're going to have steak afterwards or whatever. <laughs> uh, yeah, at... And have a full Lebowski moment where, like, the ash, a wind kicks up and the ashes blow back on the crowd. Oh my God, I've got some horrible ashes <laughs> stories that I can't bring up now. I'll, I'll tell you off air, but I'll swear you to secrecy. Ash stories never end well. <laughs> no, they it's don't. like nine out of ten, it's going sideways. It's, this one went way side. Here's some other things about the, um, the wave pool. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm going there. I'm okay. going back because uh, I'm reading some cool stuff on the Surfer Mag forum and, and, uh, a guy who goes by GWS, my my uh, friend Finn, he wrote some cool stuff. Number one is economically viable. And it doesn't just refer to the cost per wave because the biggest challenge, as Finn writes, is liability. Have you noticed how skate parks we used to have largely went away? There was privately funded skate parks, which were commercial entities that went bye-bye. Now all skate parks are run by municipalities, right. more or less. One word, liability, right? Shallow water with an underwater apparatus that is being towed in close proximity to the wave the surfer is riding. Somebody's going to die. Somebody's going to get sued. It's inevitable. Can the wave pool industry then survive that? And that's where 
is it economically viable comes in great question that um what was that the wave thing that tom lochtefeld built that they show in the endless summer too where it's just like a wall of water that they pump up what is that thing called I it's can't... called the wave uh yeah it's, you know what i'm talking yeah, about i can't in, think yeah of it. it's i can't believe we can't think of the name of it but yeah yeah it's down there in mission beach at yeah. It's called the wave lock. No, no, no I can't think of it either. But anyway, yeah. they've been sued countless times over that thing. Like, didn't Rob Machado break his collarbone on it? Like, people, sh- yeah. he did. And people, I don't think he sued, though. Rob no, he didn't sue. But people have gotten really, really hurt on that thing. Actually, Tom Morey broke his hip on it when they were filming The Endless Summer 2. Oh, wow. They show the clip, but they never just address it. So that They show the that- clip where he's bodyboarding on it, gets sucked over the falls, and just slammed because it's like six inches of water. That means that their waiver must be really you know, solid and, and tight. Or I think right? actually... It must be now, but or like their insurance the, company just pays out over the course of the twenty years. That's why it's moved from like Texas to Germany and different places because hmm. the people, the investors, are like, "I'm not willing to deal with this burden," and then they sell it. Somebody else goes, "I'm not willing to." After a year or two, decide it's not worth dealing with the burden, and then they sell it. Right. So, um, yeah, that's a legitimate point that your buddy brings up. It's called Wave House, but the name of the really gnarly ones some got it. It's got a name like. It's, you know, some stupid name like Tyrannosaurus Rex or something. Tyrannosaurus Wave. <laughs> something. <laughs> um, Let's see if I can find it here. Well, what else? What were the other comments that they were saying oh, about that? Okay, yeah. So um, GWS goes on to say, um, here it is. Number two, um, he goes on to say, you're totally ignorant if you think, uh, let me find something good. Uh, he just kind of goes on a little bit of, I think number one was the best point that he made but he, he goes on to just basically say that you know he likes surfing for what it is free ride yeah um, there's no stopping what's going to happen but um when you're looking at this whole mess 20 years from now you're probably going to go oh you know what this isn't really surfing surfing is yeah, yeah what yeah. we know it to be now right um back to the world uh surf league 2016 tour I want to just shout out to the people who are officially being added to the tour. Yeah. Kaio Abelli, Jack Freestone, Alejo Muniz, Kanoa Igarashi, Alex Ribeiro, Connor Coffin, Davey Cathels, Ryan Callanan, and I'm not sure, maybe Stuart Kennedy. I couldn't tell based on the numbers if he had not. Really? Yeah. Of those, who are you most excited about? Connor Coffin. For sure. 100%. There's no doubt. I've got my money on Connor Coffin. Yeah. And I'm, and you know, Rob Machado and I talked about this in your inter- in our interview. Yeah. Um, no one knows if he's got that inner drive, which is what it's going to take, right? You're yep. going to really have to hunker down, much in the way Adriano and Felipe and a lot of the Brazilians have done. They're just like, you know what? I'm winning this thing, and I'll do whatever it takes, and I, I don't care. You know, I'm going to hang out with Jamie O'Brien, and do, you know, like what? Like yeah. I think my hat's off to Adriano. DeSouza, I know. By Let's the way. talk about that. I don't think we've given him enough. We props. really haven't. I, no. I'm super stoked for. Adriano, you know, I know I've bashed on the Brazilian nation state as a whole because I'm from America and I'm pro America. And the whole nationalism thing is I read some stuff about nationalism the other day that had me kind of cringing. But anyway, Adriano, good stuff. Has anybody more quickly gone from zero to hero in everybody's eyes than Adriano. I feel like even just through the course of this event, he went from being a guy that people were rooting against and loving to hate 
to the guy that we're proud to see win. It was like we all were rooting for him by the end of the event. And it's strictly based on humility. His hard his humility in the posting interviews, but his hard work prior, first and foremost. Yeah. And knowing how many hard yards he put in for however many years. And then seeing him in the interviewed in every heat, they'd ask him, What did you do to get here? And he'd immediately start talking about his competitors and how hard they worked and how much he loves their surfing and how grateful he is to Jamie O'Brien and everybody who got into this position. And it was sincere. It wasn't a ploy to gain sympathy. It was just we all kind of recognized this guy's here to win it. I'm going to put this out there to the WSL production team and hopefully they'll listen and get some of this. But my wife and I watched the final on our big screen and my wife is going, Okay, they're giving a lot of lip service to this Adriano guy who apparently went from rags to riches and is this really hard worker. But all I've heard is just that words. How come they didn't do a pre, um, you know, some pre roll on the backstory of each and every one of these guys' season? Like, how come? Because, because, my, and my wife's a great example. She's like, I don't follow the tour. Right. I just know that they're saying this guy had some rags to riches story and he worked hard. Well, I want to see it. Where's the production of you know? Here's a little bit about Adriano. Let me show you where the favela, where he grew up. Let me show you his brother with the $7 surfboard. Like all of this stuff had to come out either through Adriano in, a, in an interview or through just some sound bites from the, from the webcast team. It would have been so much better if they had produced stuff on Mick, produced stuff on Felipe, produced stuff on Adriano. Right. Not just like how he got here, heat recap, event by event. I mean, good backstory, the kind of stuff that you'd see on NBC, what Jimmy Roberts would do or Robin Roberts would do or whoever, you know, where you're really, where my wife's going, oh, I get it now. I too want to root for Adriano, not just based on somebody saying that he worked hard or that he's from a poor place or yada, 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 whatever his story is. I want it to come to life for me. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, Red Bull did their 21 days series a while back. I mean, years ago, they did one on Adriano that I remember. So when they were talking about those things, I was envisioning what I had seen two years ago. Right. that was produced by Red Bull. Thank you. So I will Red Bull did it. Yeah, they did. WSL needs to do it. Right. So I'm going to post that video, by the way, surf splendor podcast.com. It was a three part series for anybody who is curious about those things and wish that they would have saw that. I'll make sure to post those videos on, on today's show notes. I'll send them to you as well. Uh, because they did a great job with it. They actually go to his hometown where he grew up and they, and then they, they show where he grew up, but they also go to his current home and show his family members that he's still like, he takes care of. He sends money home to put these people, you know, buys yeah. them, buys them houses and all that sort of stuff. So I, I, I think Adriano is a real great story out of this event of like winning over people's hearts. Again, I, I don't remember ever seeing people. Get on board as quickly as we have with this guy. I'm a I'm a big fan. I'm a new convert to Adriano. Still doesn't really um, do much for us in terms of style, but I've got a, a email here from Rod that is kind of Rod in West Oz. Uh, that's kind of similar to what we were talking about. I'll hear get your response to it. Rod and Westoss says, amidst my disappointment and confusion as to the crowning of this year's world champion, I am compelled to question the dilemma that is the current state of WCT criteria and what it might mean for our own, for its own evolution. Adriano seems like a great guy, uh, humble, etc., and I believe he's deserving of the title in his approach to the, quote, game this year. He has superior understanding and knowledge of the contest rules, always scrapping and never falling, but I think herein lies the crux of my issue. 
His surfing is perhaps the least inspiring of all the top 10, maybe even the top 20. His surfing is solidly safe and uninventive by comparison, which doesn't set a great precedent for the WCT. I'd like your guys' opinion on the credibility of future world champs um, under this system. What can be done to highlight the true artistry of progressive surfing? Uh, that is what fans of surfing really want to see. Do you think that the competitions are too long with endless grinding through these rounds at the detriment of seeing the best surfers collide in the best conditions? I think the answer to that is Felipe Toledo. Felipe Toledo charged in the South Pacific this year, um, specifically at Chopu. If he did. If he did. Yeah. And if he did it pipeline this year, we would be going, this is our well-rounded, full-on stud champion because he does it all. Yeah. So I, I'm okay with that we're, si- that we're sort of – on the side of the guy who grinds it out and can charge in big waves and doesn't do the aerials and he's our champion until we get the guy that can do both. I'd much rather see Adriano win it as sort of a grinder that's uninspiring than a guy who can do all the airs in the world, become the world title, but everyone knows he doesn't charge. Yeah. To me, that's not a world champion. And Adriano is really a world champion, you know, even though he's, you know, exact, you know, he's, who's the guy who wrote that? Rod? Rod Rod's is right. Rod is right. You know, it's a little bit uninspiring, but given the two options, yeah. I'd rather have Adriano. And oh, by the way, we're just a few heats away from, from crowning Felipe or Kolohe or one of these guys that's got air game that's just incredible or, Italo, yeah, Italian Ferrari could be the guy, right? right. That charges everywhere and has that thing. And I mean, I, I I wouldn't be surprised if next year we get that full rounded champion where you're like, wow, he everything he does in the free surf, he does in the finals, and he charges cloud break, chopu, and pipeline. Yeah, and I think Adriano just it was a shot across the bow to all the other guys on tour that it's like doesn't matter how talented you are, John John. If you don't put in the hard work in the gym and in heat strategy, holding your breath underwater, whatever it is, like talent isn't enough, you know? And so I think that that's a great, that will require John John to be the best John John. Is John John going to step up or is he going to go the way of Jordy Smith and that's, just be like, you know what? I tried for three years. I'm getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars. Everyone loves me. I live in a perfect place. I'm the god of Hawaii. I'm good. <laughs> I, I don't know that John John even knows what he wants. You know, I don't know if he know if he knows that he wants to be a world champion as badly as Kelly did and Adriano did and Gabriel yeah. did. You know, yeah. so maybe he'll work that out. But I do, like I said, I do think this is an impetus for that. I think seeing Adriano do that and win the Pipe Masters, John John doesn't have a Pipe Masters title, and he's like, crap. What did he do differently than me? Oh, like trained in the gym. Or yeah. whatever it is, yeah. like yeah. those are the the few. You got to go the extra mile. Look, yeah. the, uh, heart always goes further than talent, unless yeah. the talent puts in the heart. Is that a, a rehashing of Keanu Singh's quote that they said like thirty times throughout the broadcast? Did you hear that? I must have gr- gleaned it from there. Yeah, let me there. see if I could pull it. Actually, I didn't write it down, but it was um, uh, talent crap. No, it wasn't talent crap. No, it wasn't. Um, <laughs> Hard work beats talent when talent doesn't work hard. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's, that's what that is. I, I mangled that. That's yeah. what I was trying to say. But that's Keanu is saying like hard over height is his hashtag. And um, I kind of like that kid. I love that kid. Yeah, he's I, the I, best. I've become a big fan of his. Yeah. Not a huge fan of his surfing, but just love him. Yeah, you know? he's Adriano. He is kind of. He's the Hawaiian he's Adriano. Hawaiian. We've said that before. Have we? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, well, so what's Apparently funny? I'm on thin ice in the UK. I got an email here. Okay, real quickly. Let me finish this Adriano rant and then get into that. Adriano. 
what's funny about him as the world title holder is like um we've talked about on the show like his fundamental his surfing fundamentals are super sound but nobody loves his style like everybody kind of knows it what style Right. But the broad, you and I talk about it and the internet talks about it, but the broadcast booth really isn't allowed to address it. Yeah. They're not allowed to state the white elephant in the room or the pink elephant or whatever color that elephant is. Except I feel like Strider has all but addressed it because (laughs) he um, he beats her. He kind of walks around the edges of it all. Accidentally. Like he doesn't realize he's saying it. But after Adriano won the event, Strider had the mic on the sand and he's calling like the while he's getting cheered up the beach he's sitting there as the cheerleader shouting into the mic and he's like here's our champion he might not have the greatest um, way of doing things but uh <laughs> well his direct his direct quote was you don't hate the player hate the game like oh it, <laughs> that's, that's a like direct saying, quote that's like saying the WSL's wrong it is my employer's no good it is he's like saying I do remember that I we, remember we all that. know Adriano nobody likes Adriano but the cards are stacked in his favor when he Picks the boxes that the judges want to see. Yeah. You know, like, yeah, that's don't so hate true. the player, hate yeah. the game. It was like, oh, you know God. What? And actually, Kudos to Strider for calling it like it is. I, he didn't even know that he was, you know? And then the people in the booth, by the way, there was like silence Oops. afterwards. Yeah. They And then they just like diverted into a new topic of conversation. So, anyways, All what's right. your email from the UK? Well, um, this one says, Scott, I got an email. We read an email last time from a guy named Hugh. Okay. And it was spelled H U W. Okay. And I was like, I don't know. This email's from some guy named Ha or something. <laughs> so, and he was correcting your pronuncia- pronunciation. So I got an email on, yeah. correcting my pronunciation. He's like, dude, the Welsh name Hugh is pronounced Hugh, like the word few. Like you have very few kudos left in the UK because the River Seven is not in Germany. As ever, in good faith and aloha, Ben Spencer. So, Ben, thanks for the email. And I, uh, yeah, I'm, I am... At my very best, naive. At my very worst, ignorant. I apologize. Well, the funny thing is, your initial reading of that email was cor- they were correcting your pronunciation on the river, and then you mispronounced his name. So then you got a correction on the correction. Right. This is, and I'm sure I did something. Maybe I pronounced Ben's name wrong. Or something. <laughs> Who knows? That's um, funny. I got another email from a guy named Henning. Oh, good, oh yeah, good, we know Henning. Yeah, Henning, yeah. longtime listener. Hello, Scott and David. Awesome that higher. Was your must-see moment, Scott? It's truly amazing and unexpected to hear that from you. I'm a lifelong snowboarder and backcountry enthusiast, and Jeremy Jones is pretty much our Kelly Slater. The splitboard scene exploded within the last six to seven years, spearheaded by Jeremy and his movie trilogy. The other thing I want to mention is you guys touching on Andy Irons again. I completely agree with your assessment. I was just a little surprised that you guys didn't mention uh, the the works documentary by. In the works, the documentary by Teton Gravity Research, which is coincidentally owned by Jeremy Jones's brothers. I think you guys had mentioned it in the past. It's sort of flying under the radar since TGR is not necessarily known as a producer of surf content, but I have high expectations for it. And speaking of that, that Brad Malekian book about Andy Irons seems to have vanished into obscurity. Anyways, as always, still enjoying your shows. They never get old. Your favorite German fanboy, Henning. Well... I have heard, and we have talked about the Andy Irons movie by Teton Gravity Research. Somebody I know put in a bid to get the job, had to get green-lighted by Lindy Irons, Andy's, uh, what's the word? Wife? No, well, or, yeah, um, widow. Thank you. Andy's widow, Lindy. And um, that sort of scares us a little bit from a documentary standpoint, that, that the family has, I mean, I like I said, if we're going to tell the whole warts and all story of Andy Irons, 
I'm not sure that that lines up with what the family wants us to see. So we'll see if Teton Gravity gets it right. I didn't know that Jeremy Jones's brother owned TGR. Well, what about his Henning's comment about the Brad Malekian book? Um, Is it in the works? Yeah. Okay. It's in the works. So he said it's it disappeared into obscurity. It's not in obscurity. It's being crafted or being I, researched. I, I being- think that the publisher probably would have liked it to have been finished already, and I, I think it's being okay. t- tightened up okay. as we speak. Um, It'll be out. Okay. Uh, by the way, do you remember we had a bet going about Fantasy oh, Surfer? Oh, shit. Did I lose? Hell yeah, you did. How oh, how convenient you don't remember. I did. If you had won, I'm sure that you would. If I, if right? I, no. You would have opened the show with this topic. I, I would have. However, I would also, had I lost, I wouldn't have suggested we do a show this week. I would have been hightailing it. We'd probably be broken up as as host and co That's all that it takes to break no, up this, no. I'm this beautiful glad for marriage. You. Tell me about the results. Well, you finished. I finished 16 points higher than you for the season. That's all that split us. We were we were five points apart at the beginning of this event or prior to this event. Yeah. And then I finished a mere 16 points ahead, which is nothing because we're in the 7,000s in terms of number of points. Um, but I finished – I beat you at the pipe event and then, of course, beat you a little bit uh, in the overall standings. But the pipe event was where the $100 was going down. So what was our final tally? Final us? tally, I had 793 and you had 717. Oh, and wow. by by the way, all of our people finished in the same rounds. Like we were neck and neck until we had one surfer remaining. I had Gabriel Medina. You had Mick Fanning. Oh. And that was going to decide who won this bet. So it came down to the wire for that you and Ariel I. Ariel is bullshit. <laughs> bullshit on that. All of a sudden, your opinion changes. 6.5. Well, what's funny is the morning of the event, I had Mick Fanning on my team and I dropped him I to add Gabriel. Yeah. And then I told you, I'm like, dude, I don't, I'm not sure about this decision. But in hindsight, I feel great about that decision. Oh, my God. So anyways, you I owe me $100. Bucks. And, uh, yeah, you do. I, I might have a checkbook in my car. It's all right. Um, no, it's not. I want to pay you. No, I mean, I'm going to take your money. You just you don't uh, have to give me a check. you take pesos or? <laughs> Whatever you got, dude. Yeah. <laughs> um, so do you have must-see moments or Dukes and Kooks or anything like that? Um, I have an email from Andrew Slocum who says, Gentlemen, Pipeline is always awesome to watch. Every year they say it's some of the best pipe ever. It rarely fails to deliver on at least one or two days. But when, the la- when was the last time the finals day was held in pumping pipe? It's always great for a couple of rounds, and then the swell drops and they end up running contests in the slop or micro conditions. That's from Andrew Slocum. and. And he's kind of right. Can you remember the last time the last day was epic? What about I know the, year- the Machado, the year two thousand Machado was epic. Yeah, that yeah. was one of those days where it was gnarly in the morning and it cleaned up and got better and better as the day went on. What about the one that Kieran Perot won? Yeah, that was pretty meaty. I remember Wasn't that it? being big, but I yeah. don't know if it was like epic or not. Yeah, was that the one where? Um, the one Australian guy that charges really hard, Laurie Towner. No, another guy. Um, I'm sorry, I'm, mm. I'm losing it. But he he took out he took took one of them to the very end at back door and almost you know what I mean, but I can't remember. Oh, I can't think of who you're talking about. Anyway, okay, um, I don't know. But that year, KP won. I remember him getting some big bombs at back door, but I don't know if it was like in the final or in the rounds. Well, to Andrew's to point, wouldn't it be great? Perfect scenario, perfect world scenarios. If the if the waiting period was extended by the county of Honolulu, so that we could have the final day. In like really, in, in fact, the kind of situation where you just wait for the final only, right. and you have the final at like noon, you know, because you know it's going to be bombing and it'll clean up. The tide will drop and the wind will go offshore, and by noon or one, it's all time perfect. Pipe. Yeah, 
That would be cool if they could do that, Andrew. Good email. Yeah, I agree. Um, Must-see moment. Round three, heat nine, Sebastian Zietz is 10. Do you remember this wave? No. I feel like there's so many storylines that come out of pipe every year that there's like incredible things that kind of get overlooked. For me, last year, it was Alejo Muniz's uh, wave at backdoor that was like a nine-something. I thought it was the best wave of the event. This year, it's Seabass's 10. He still ended up losing this heat to Jeremy Flores because he couldn't get a backup score. And his requalification was on the line. So he got a 10 in the heat, and you're like, oh, he might requalify. I did see he this wave. didn't get the backup. Yeah, I remember but this. this wave, no joke, is a proper 10 yeah. and a must-see moment. He takes off so deep, the thing folds, and he's like behind the line that you need to be on to like rifle you through. And like he's behind the foam ball, he's behind the compression. Like I actually, I didn't look away, but I gave up on him. I was like, there's no way he's going to find a line out of this thing. The thing blows, spit. He doesn't come out and then somehow comes out behind it. You're just like, what? He didn't have a chance to even pump to find the line. He just like dropped into this death pit. The thing blew out and he somehow came out afterwards. It was the gnarliest wave of the event. So that's my musty moment. I'm going to, I'm going to capture it and then post it on, uh, Instagram. So follow at surf. Well, I guess sadly my musty moment will be the Kelly Slater wave pool wave. Everybody's already seen it. That's the only problem with that. I know. By the way, my last musty moment from two show, two weeks ago. Did you see it? Gabriel or from last week, Gabriel Medina's floater. At I Sunset. did. That was gnarly. How gnarly yeah, was I think that? You sent that to me or I saw it you saw show. it on Insta. Yeah, that was insane. Yeah. yeah. That was so radical. such a worthy musty moment last time. Okay. I've got a Duke and a kook. My Duke. I was going to go Mason because he just charged through the event, but you can't go Mason. You got to go Mick. Mick Fanning is the Duke. Mick. His brother. Mick did everything he needed to do in this event. And then on the greatest day of competition we've ever seen, he woke up that <laughs> morning. He woke up that morning to the news that his older brother, I think Peter is his name, yeah. passed away in his sleep the night before. So Fanning was hit. And he had a brother that passed away 10 years ago as well, or in 1999, in a car crash. So Fanning's lost two brothers, but he found out the morning of, I mean, his world title was on the line and then delivered. Like he went out that day and fought through some battles, beating the best pipeline surfers ever, arguably. He beat Jamie O'Brien that day. He beat John John Florence and he beat Kelly Slater to make it through to the next day, which he ultimately lost in. But still, like he is the, he has the heart of a lion. He is a true champion. He surfed unbelievably well. He's got all of the hard work ethic that we love from Adriana DeSouza, but I think he's a better surfer even. So Mick Fanning, like, and then his post-heat interviews were so emotionally just like raw. And Pete even had one with him where they both, neither of them addressed the situation that we had all learned through the internet of his brother dying. Because Rip Curl also released a statement that morning saying, hey, yeah, this happened, but we'd like to honor the privacy of his family and not really discuss it openly. And so the WSL honored that throughout most of the day. But Pete was, you know, interviewing him after a post heat interview. And he's like, you know, I know you're having a rough day. Like, tell me about what was going through your head. And Mick doesn't say it, but basically says... I'm going through some really heavy stuff right now, and I just know that the people in my life who love me most would want me to be here giving it 110%, and that's why I'm here. And he almost teared up, and Pete just said sincerely, like, dude, you are a true champion. We're all rooting for you, and gave him a 
a harder hug than he's given anybody else. Yeah. And Mick went like it was so good. You know, yeah. it was must see television as well. So Mick Fanning's my Duke. Well, absolutely. I did see that interview too, and that was good. And that's a great Duke. Well deserved. I hate to go out on a kook. <laughs> Should I? Uh, yeah. I mean, you got a kook. You got a kook. <sighs> it's going to leave a bitter taste in all of our mouths, dude. <laughs> did you see the Chris Ward story? No. What oh, happened? Oh, God. What happened? Uh, what happened with Chris Ward? Beach Grit is the only one who posted this story. <laughs> So it's all alleged. Oh, my God. What happened? It's worth discussion because Chris Ward, such a prominent figure in my adolescence. I love Ward and I love or I loved Ward and I loved his surfing. Oh, God, dude. I'm maybe have to edit this out later because I'm even apprehensive to say the words. But um, his wife published his or his wife or ex-wife or whatever. Um, has access to Ward's social media. And she ran, has been running Ward's social media. As we know, Ward doesn't care about social media. You know what I mean? Like, But she's kind of ran his social media um, since it got launched. She posted a photo of herself with kind of a bruised face Mm -hmm. saying, um, basically, this is... Oh, God, I'm just going to read it, dude. I don't want to butcher it. Um, let me read the caption. Basically said, I'm a professional. A- she, this was on Ward's Instagram, and it's a photo of her face bruised, and it says, I'm a professional athlete. I love my wife, but I spread lies about her. So here's the truth. This is how I love. Truth is here. And she tagged herself in the post, and um, it immediately got taken down, or it got taken down later. Ward then went on Facebook and started commenting on it. Both things got taken down. Um there's been some backlash back and forth here and there. Beach Grit posted the story. They're the only ones that posted the story. But uh, everybody's chimed in and had their opinions about it. It's all unsubstantiated, but it doesn't look good for Chris. Lost, Chris's main sponsor, yeah. has pulled down all reference to him on their website. Even in the list of like sponsored athletes, they've taken him down, which he was one of their marquee guys for yeah. a while. So it's ugly and it doesn't look good. And he, by the way, Chris Ward has a – he was, um, I don't know, prosecuted or he, – he basically punched a female in Mammoth a few years ago and got thrown in jail over it. So that's been a problem in the past for Chris. So – Yeah, cool. there's some stuff on the internet here I can see that you're Googling as I'm talking <laughs> about it. What do you got? I just – you know, I'm just on the Surfer Magazine message boards, which is not – you know, it's just a lot of – Innuendo. I don't. I don't know anything about this other than what you just told me. So I, I, it's pretty serious stuff, and it looks like it's real. It looks like it's real, and it's ugly. Yeah, it's sad. Unfortunate fallout. Dude. Yeah, they have a little boy, don't they? They do. Yeah, yeah. And so, I don't know. I mean, this is one of those things where I'm sure it's. This is one of those things where. Remember what that quote Matt Warshaw used that I. I drug up from a friend of mine, which is surf journalism is at its best when it's not moonlighting as surf advocacy. Totally. So this is a time and a place for, and Beach Grit, I guess, deserves some credit. I didn't read what they wrote, but real surf journalism should look into this and and talk about this. You know, like this is kind of like warts and all, you know, like this is kind of like the AI stuff. It's like, dude, this is what we are, you know, like well, let this me happens read. in all parts of society and we're not immune to it. 
And it's, again, Ward kind of has a track record, and let's not be oblivious to that. Like, here's what Chaz Smith wrote about it. He said, it in regard to what you're talking about, he said, and this should not be a story except social media makes it one because it is all there in plain sight. The pictures, the arguments, the posts. To pretend it ain't is to go back to the good old days where surf journalism, where of surf journalism, where chumminess trumped all. But also, we had the benefit of getting all the facts straight before going to, to press. And hell, domestic abuse is completely ugly hideous and a cancer upon america and especially american sports scene but still innocent until proven guilty you know so it's kind of (laughs) like this happened on social media we're going to comment on it here's what the comments on the thing said here's what was most disturbing what are the comments on beach grid about like what a what a nightmare uh, the guy is, or they, that we shouldn't be commenting on it until we know all the facts? Or? Most of them, no, a lot of them, here's the great thing about comment section, is a lot of them are from people who live in San Clemente, have seen Wardo, seen him get in fights, and they're just like, yeah, you guys, we know that this is going on. Like, Yeah, he had some it's situation in Mammoth, didn't he? That's they? what like, I was saying. Yeah, he punched exactly. a girl in Mammoth. Didn't I, he go I, to jail for yeah, it, or he yeah, did yeah, probation yeah. or something? No, that's I'm okay. sorry, you said that while yeah, I was yeah, reading yeah. this other thing. Right. So I think, you know, people... People have commented on it are just like, dude, if you are a wife beater, then it deserves to be paraded out in public and you deserve to be shamed and ostracized for it. It's all alleged. We're not saying that we have fact that you are, but there's enough circumstantial evidence. And if it is true, then screw you, you know, then you deserve to be called out. And I think that is why it's a story here and why I'm calling him the kook, you know, Um, it's a shame when your heroes get. Look, he's not. I mean, he's just a guy that rides waves good. There's a million of them. He shouldn't be a hero. Not there a hero. was Jonas Salk who like founded polio vaccine. Not a hero. Definitely a coup for this week. I so. think that's appropriate. Here's the. I mean, the the part that kind of made me sadder is to like look into, like I said, Lost website and have them see that they've removed all that mention to him. A lot of it, it's kind of like, oh god, because he was their bread, like. They've always advocated for Ward, and if they're no longer behind it, then it, it does say something. Yeah, so. like if, if, yeah, like if you're going to be able to pull it off, it's going to be with Lost. <laughs> but they definitely, I mean, it's a very different thing to be a wife beater, oh, you know, than, to, than yeah. to just be like a partier or yeah. something. So that's a story that I really was apprehensive to talk about because it's so ugly, but whatever. It is what it is. What do you got to say, Scott? Until next time, adios. And aloha. He's Jeez, try to lighten the mood here with a little Christmas music after that horrible Chris Ward story. Um, at any rate, thank you for tuning in. We really appreciate it. Hope that you had a wonderful 2015. Hope that you have a wonderful holiday season here. And um, thanks for listening, of course. And share the show with friends, rate and review on iTunes, uh, follow and like and comment on social media at Surf Splendor, and then go to um, surfsplendorpodcast.com if you want to leave a comment in the comment section or see any of the videos, uh, the must-see moments, uh, the video of Kelly Slater's wave pool, all that sort of stuff. We've got all of that on surfsplendorpodcast.com. All right. Thank you very much. This is David Scales reminding you to have happy holidays. Use your time off to get out in the ocean, catch a couple of waves, and shred on.